0: It is good to follow along with the scripture. Although I had the scriptures up there, there are things that I think that as we start to unfold the word this morning, you'll we'll go, here's a thought. I thought I read this somewhere else. So feel free to do that because that is, that is good for you. It is good for us. Um, and we will see that in the text of scripture this morning. One of the people that Paul and um, Silas go and visit are those who search the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. So what I want to do, uh, first and foremost here, is we will um, read the whole of Acts chapter 17, and then we will dive in this morning. So I ask the Lord now that as we read and hear your word, that your Holy Spirit God would superintend our hearing that we would be changed and transformed by your word, that we would see clearly the necessity and the reality of Jesus Christ through it. In your son's name. Amen. Amen. So seventeen, beginning in verse one. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those of Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there thereto agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent off Paul on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what did this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Urapaga saying... May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not very far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness, by a man whom he has appointed. And he has given. he and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus, the Arapagate, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, as we dive into this, I want to give us the totality of of where this fits. And so I want us to think about this. In In the totality of Scripture, God is making a people for Himself and for His glory. And his avenue is grace. His instruments that he goes down this avenue of grace are his grace given people. We who are in Christ are grace given people. And we become his, ins- his instruments, his avenue by which more grace is bestowed on those outside of us. That's how God works in us, in the church. And he empowers the recipient of this grace with himself. He empowers us with himself. That is, that he gives us the Holy Spirit and His Word to communicate his message of grace to those He is saving. What does that mean? Well, that means you. Church. It means me. God made you for Himself and for His glory. He graciously made you a people. He has empowered you with His Holy Spirit and His Word to speak of His amazing grace. That's what we are. That's who we are as a church. So as we look at the text in chapter 17, we want to see what, what really is this about? What is this here for? Why is this text here? Why is it important? And it's very important. It is, in the outline of things, it is Paul's second missionary journey. So you remember on the first journey that we went through, he went through the area of Galatia, right? And this area in the second missionary journey is in the area of Greece. In this second missionary journey, it really begins in Acts chapter 16, about verse 6, and goes through eighteen twenty-three. So remember, in Acts sixteen six, there was this Macedonian call to Antioch, where Paul was, and that was his home base. And then he so he gets this call and goes to Antioch, back to the home base, and then he goes about strengthening the churches where he had already visited. Right? He goes back and he follows up with the churches that he had established. So when we look here at Acts um, seventeen. We see that verses 1 through 9, he goes to Thessalonica. But I, I will break it down another way. I want you to think about this. When he goes to Thessalonica, few Jews believe and many Greeks. Okay? When he goes to 10 through 15, he goes to Berea. Many Jews believe and just a few Greeks. Then we go to 16 through 21 in chapter 17. And he goes to Athens, and I would also call this the ignorant intelligent. He goes to the ignorant intelligent to speak the truth of the gospel to them. And then finally, he's in the erratus, speaking about vain, dead worship. Well, as I started to study this this week, I couldn't help but think about, what is Luke's aim in the book of Acts, right? I wanted to think about what is the author saying? The one who penned it. But then more importantly, what is the author? What is the author saying? What is the author's intent as we look at this? Well, I want to look back. If you would flip in your Bible with me to um, Luke chapter 1. Because we're going to see that the Acts is actually sort of a continuation of the Gospel of Luke, and I want you to, I want us to notice something about, uh, I want us to know something about Luke in, in Luke chapter one, and then I want to contrast with what what we see in Luke and in, in Acts chapter one, so we can see sort of the intent of Luke as he speaks to this. To Theophilus, and he also is writing this to Theophilus in Acts chapter one. But I want to see something. uh, I want to see something in this. So, Luke uh, chapter one, verse one: Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the very beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So at first, what do we see? We see that that, that both that the Gospel of Luke right, is an account of things that he had witnessed, right? Okay, so I want us to see this, that uh, things that he received, he's giving out. So he's he's telling this as if it were news, okay? So he's he's like a reporter, right? He's a reporter taking on eyewitness accounts, and he's taking his eyewitness accounts, and then he is communicating them to those folks. Now when we look at Acts chapter 1, we see again the, the, the same address, same person. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until that day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So again, he tells us Here, that as we look at the book of Acts, that he is speaking about the things concerning the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God really works. This is all just a framework to get us to think about this as as we're really getting back in here and see uh, what is going on. We might notice something, though, about Luke. I want to notice something. I want you to notice this. He's an observer as he begins the address in Luke, and he's an observer as he begins Acts, chapter 1. When we get to 1611, something changes. He goes from being an observer to being a participant. He becomes a participant. It changes from they went there to we went there. So he's not just recording facts on the
1: outside.
0: He's part of the gospel. He's not become just an observer of how the gospel of Jesus Christ works. He's not just an observer of how Jesus acts in the world. He's a participant in what Jesus is doing in the world. That is our message this morning. That is what I want all of us uh, to to get. That is what I'm going to communicate to you today as best I can. It is um, it is the passion to me of, of the ministry that you, all of you, every one of you who is in Christ Jesus, who is sitting in here this morning, become an active participant in the gospel. That is what I long for you, to be an active participant in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't just observe it that that's a great truth, and it is great. Don't just observe the greatness of Jesus Christ from afar. Don't just observe the mission that Jesus Christ is on in the world and believe me, he's still on it. Don't just be an observer of that. Be a participant in it. And that's what I hope for us this morning that we will see in this text. So let's look back again at chapter 17 and I'm going to read through uh, 1 through 9 again. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom on on the three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out in the crowd. And when they when, when they could not find him they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. What we see in this text, and that we're going to see across the whole of this chapter, is something that I really keyed in on. is. The necessity of Christ's suffering and resurrection. They speak of it as a need. Christ needed to suffer. And he rose. He needed to. Well, did he need to? No. We needed it to. That's what he's communicating about the mission. That's what he says is is, is the thing, is the one thing that we communicate. The necessity of Christ's suffering. People don't know that. Their greatest need is that Christ would have suffered for them. That is their greatest need. And another thing that we need to celebrate today, and I want us to get excited about this, because I am excited about this because of, you know the heaviness of Job last week, well, you can leave just sort of, you know, it's heavy. But as I was studying Acts chapter 17 this week, I just, I got excited. You know what? Because in the midst of suffering and trials and troubles and all that, my God is alive. He's alive. That's what he's telling here. Get excited about that. Our God is alive. So what people need to hear as we are on mission for God is that they have a necessity that Jesus Christ suffered. And the good news of that is that our God is alive. So I, I thought about this as the goal of the preacher. My goal, my personal mission for our gathering this morning and on each Lord's Day My mission to give to the believer in Jesus Christ is found here in this text. Paul reasoned from the Scriptures. In his reasoning from the Scriptures, what was he pointing out? The necessity of Christ's suffering and the reality of Jesus Christ's resurrection. That's what he communicated from the Scriptures. And as I got to thinking about that, that is my aim, that is my goal, that is something that I should communicate every single Sunday to every single person who's in this room, who comes in here to see here. I should communicate that in some way every single week. The necessity of Christ's suffering for you and the reality that our God is alive. That's what I should communicate to you each week. Well, there's a necessity for Christ's suffering for you personally, for me personally, and I want to declare to you the reality of this resurrection life for you too. You have resurrection life because he's alive. That's good news, right? We what are we except preachers of good news? What is the mission of the church except to preach the good news? What is the good news? Is that you have a need, you have a necessity that you don't even know about. And the necessity is that Christ suffered and died for you. You have a need that that be true. And I want to show you that that's true. And then I want to show you that because of that, you have a new life in Him by faith. That now you live a life, a resurrected life. And that is a reality for you. That is, that we come here, that I might. My idea of reasoning from the scriptures, the reason why I ought to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ week in and week out, this is the reason why. Is that I need to. I need to publicly proclaim the reality of the gospel of Jesus and to declare to you that we worship a God that is really alive and that today is a day of celebration. Today is a day of celebration for you and for me. And secondly, it is to encourage you to go from being an observer of the Great Commission to go and make disciples and become a participant in the Holy Spirit-empowered mission of Christ. I want you to be a participant in the Holy Spirit-empowered mission of Christ. We know that from the beginning of the book of Acts, he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit is telling you to be witnesses of me. That is to tell the truth about Jesus Christ. What is the reality of Jesus Christ is that you needed, if there's a need in your life, that Christ would suffer and die for you. Because you can't pay the penalty of what you owe. You cannot pay it. You can't afford it. The debt's too great. But you have a need of Christ and Christ suffered for you. That's a need. And that he is alive. And that he is alive for you. And he's alive in you. Right? That, that's the idea. It's, and that, that us who are in him, I want us to go from just observing other people doing Great Commission work. But for us to be participants in that Great Commission work to go and make disciples. To be part of the mission of Christ. To be what Christ is doing in the world. Because Christ is still at work in the world, my friends. He is still at work in the world. I've watched Him work in people's lives. He's still at work. And He says that you that are in Him, participate in what that is that He's doing. And He'll give you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. Don't do this in your own strength. You can't. You don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I need the Holy Spirit's power to empower me to do that, which is um, gospel work. And so, I want this also to see that that this is a mission that has gone on a foreign field, as it were, from where he's at. And I'm not saying that everyone in this room will go on a mission to a foreign field. But I do want to tell you this, that where you are is a foreign mission. You are in foreign territory in your workplace. You are in foreign territory at your school. You are in foreign territory. You are upside down and backwards and weird. Yes, you are. So am I. We are upside down and backwards. In the election process, right, you hear all these people debating and fighting over who's going to be present and all that stuff. And I love what this text just really spoke to me this week about the election. Is That we are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, and his name is Jesus. I declare to you another king, Jesus. He's greater than that. Is that not contrary to what the whole world is all up in arms about, right? They're all up in arms about this stuff. I'm like, I can't help but think, no, I already have a king. My king is much greater than yours. Whoever it is that you want to espouse against the other. My King is so much, so far greater than the one that you have, right? But people look at you and say, "These guys are upside down. These guys are backwards. These guys are turning things on its head. They're speaking of things that they ought not to speak about. They're saying that that they're saying that man can't do what's best for this country. They're saying that God can. These guys are upside down and backwards." And also, as we gather here, see, there's something that I'm speaking to the church. or something I'm speaking to believers. But there's something that every Sunday, every Lord's Day, I ought to speak something to the unconverted souls that are present. Because you know, wherever we gather, there are unconverted souls. And my personal mission for the unconverted uncon- soul, and my aim, is to reason from the scriptures that apart from Christ's suffering on the cross taking on the punishment that you so richly deserve. You are at odds with the creator of the universe and you are without hope. There may be one this morning that's sitting there without hope. They're sitting without hope. And I want to reason with you from the scriptures that it was necessary for you that Christ suffer. And I am underneath And needing the Holy Spirit's power to plead with you that your ears might be open to have the faith to believe that that is true. That is what we're up against, friends. That's what we're up against, that's what we're about. And for you that are unconverted without the reality of the resurrection, here's another thing. that's a hard truth to, to, to swallow, but I want you to, to hear this. That you are dead to God. And that this life is as good as it's ever going to get for you. This is as good as it will ever, ever get. If the reality of the resurrected Jesus is not the reality in your life. This is as good as you can ever have it. So I would ask, in the room, do you sense that the Holy Spirit might be convicting one of you or some of you of sin, righteousness, and judgment? I would say that in this moment, is your duty, as He is prompting your spirit, that He is convicting you, is to cry out to Jesus and be saved. You have to cry out to Jesus and be saved by Him. I think it's sort of hooey that goes on in churches and it's gone on for years of this. If you just accept Jesus into your heart, it will be saved. if you just bring him into your heart, everything be great, right? When you look at the history of church, people did not communicate that way until the last 50 years, right? People didn't talk like that. If you just accept Jesus in your heart, everything's going to be fine. There's a lot of people... Out in the world, who think that because they said a prayer one time, yeah. because they said, I accept Jesus into my heart, and then nothing ever changed for them, and they go about living the way they want to, then what they do is they find other people who made that same confession, that flimsy sort of I accept Jesus into my heart kind of thing. Well, they go and talk to each other about that sort of thing, and what they do is they compare their life to, to each other. And they say, Well, I'm not bad. If they're doing that and they confess Jesus, then they they're all right and so on. We're okay. Wrong standard, right? So when I say to you, cry out to Jesus and be saved, what I mean is don't be accepting Jesus in your heart. What I'm saying is, God, I am desperate and I understand my need for you, God, and I understand that. I understand that your sacrifice for me on the cross will save me. I understand that. Amen. Would you invade my life, please, and save me? Would you invade my heart and my spirit? That's what we ask, right? That, that That is the one who is converted. Because then you have nobody to glorify but Him. You say, I was a wretch, I was a mess. And Jesus Christ came in and guess what he did? He did just what these guys did. He turned the world upside down. And he turned my world upside down. I remember Christ coming into my life, and he turned it all upside down. He made a wreck of it. He made a wreck of all that I wanted to do and all that I desired. He made a wreck of my life. And I am standing here as a man just thankful that God wrecked me. He wrecked me. So that I could live in the reality of His resurrection life. Right? Surrender to His resurrection life. That's how I live right now. I'm so glad of that. Sorry. Didn't mean to rant there, but you know, I get excited about that. So, um, here they are in this text. They are in Thessalonica. And there's a few Jews that are converted, but that means that many are not.
1: Many Greeks are converted,
0: and a few were not. Our concern as proclaimers of the Word of God, is not about how many... Or about what kind. I'm not concerned this morning. Of how many. In this room. Come to Christ. Or from where they come from. I'm not concerned about that. I'm not concerned about how many. Or what kind of people. Because I understand this. That we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. For the whosoever that he has called. There is a whosoever. There's whosoever he has called whosoever God has called. Right? So I am dependent on the Holy Spirit to decide the whosoever and to show me who that is. Our concern is merely to communicate the necessity of Christ's suffering and His resurrection as a reality in our lives personally and that He is the only reality. He is the only reality. We're guaranteed to receive opposition to the message and sometimes vehemently Because we declare another king. We declare the one that can rightly rule. Remember also that it's not about your skill and ability. It's about the empowerment. Even the Apostle Paul declares, I want to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Is Christ suffering the reality that you live in? If it is, then you, my friends, are prepared to communicate that truth. If Christ's suffering for you is a reality, then you are now prepared. All you need to know to be engaged in the gospel is, I was lost, Christ found me, I was dead, he made me alive, and the only thing I need to know in the world to be on mission is that I need to communicate the necessity of Christ's suffering for those that I live with. For those that I work with, for those that God has, has, has brought me to and, is, and those that God is bringing me to. So, all of that to say, I came from the first century in a long time. But I'm going to get through this. So, let's look at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent out Paul on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, and they were part of it. What you see in Berea, we see that many Jews believed, which of course means that a few did not. A few Greeks also believed, and therefore that means many did not. See, so there's there's this distinction. It's not about who. It's not about what kind, right? And for me, as I look at this, an additional aim as a pastor of this church is that you would be like the Bereans. That you would be one who would recognize that what is being proclaimed in your hearing this morning that must be aligned with and saturated in the Word of God. That if I say something, like I say a phrase that I just said moments ago, that I'm going to know nothing the of that Christ was crucified. I didn't give you the text or the reference, and I did that on purpose. Because I would hope that as that is stirred in your heart and you go home and you say, maybe I've never heard that before. I right, go look it up. I right, go look it up. And is that so? And when he said that, is that the context with which that ought to have been said? Is he speaking the word of God correctly? That, again, is another yeah. aim that I have as I stand up here is that it has to be aligned. And I would say this. Further, I would like it if all of us in this room would diligently, day by day, search the Scriptures. And if we do, guess what we we will see? We will see the reality and the necessity of the cross. We will see the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. If you search the Scriptures daily, if you have a daily habit of reading the Word of God, you will see... That his suffering in Christ is necessary for you. You will see the reality of the life that you now can have in him because he did not stay dead. That after the third day he rose. You will see that that reality is the hope that we walk in in this world, right? If, if, let's, I, I want to read you from Hebrews 1 3 because this really tells me about what it is that you're going to see in the Word of God if you read it daily. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 1-3. The supremacy of God's Son. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. That's the Jesus that I want you to meet. So when I say search the scriptures daily, here's what I know. If you do, you'll meet Jesus. You'll meet that Jesus. You meet the Jesus that I know. I want you to know that Jesus that I am. Again, I'm probably just preaching about me, feel like because it's 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 what I desire. It's what I want. It is a passion of my life and ministry. And I want it. I want. I want it to be the passion and the ministry out of every person sitting in the room, not just the guy who's preaching on Sunday mornings. Not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just those servings. I want it to be the passion of every person who sits in the room. It's to long to know nothing else except the necessity of Christ's suffering for me and the reality of His resurrection. And that I must then respond by participating in that truth as I live my life. Let's look at verse 16. So, remember I said there that that here we are, we're going to to go to verse 16, and we're going to talk to the intelligent ignorant people. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said... What did this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Arapa, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. See, Paul here, he gets to this place where I think we all get to. He's sitting there, and he's looking out at the world as, as the Athenians knew it, and someone fires him up, right? He takes a look at their, at their idol worship, at their vain worship, and provokes something in him. Isn't there wrong going on in the world that we live in? There's wrong everywhere aggravating to watch the news it's not aggravating to get fired up about what you see atrocities everywhere one of the greatest shames in the world the biggest problem we face I believe is arbitrarily killing the end and you see it everywhere can you see a callousness to that. It fires me up. <sighs> but of course, I have to calm down. I have to be like Paul here. Paul. As much as that him, Right? Justice would say that I should scream out for those children. Right now. And make condemning speeches about those who have participated in that. Right, Well Paul here teaches us something pretty valuable, right and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So he discovers this group; they're steeped in philosophy. They have the wisdom of the world. See, the wisdom of the world that believes all those things that we're seeing and that we're seeing on our TVs today—that passes as wisdom, passes as intelligence—but they're ignorant. They're intelligent. They're very bright, very learned people. Very schooled and scholarly, scholarly folks. But they're ignorant. Same thing Paul here. Intelligent folks who are ignorant of what? What are they ignorant of? Ignorant of what we've been talking about. The necessity of Christ's suffering for them and the reality of his resurrected life. And that any other reality is not what is really going on there's one reality in the world and that reality finds itself resting in the person of Jesus Christ it's not something gained by wisdom by intelligence not something we gain if you were just smart enough you'd believe, right? if you were just smart enough you'd understand what the word God says and you'd believe and you'd follow that's not how it works not how it works. It takes a Holy Spirit empowered time. So he discovers this group. They're ever searching for something new. Since Jesus is new to them, and they view this message of Christ's suffering and resurrection as novel, they are willing to listen. There's a balance. We talk about this balance of riding the high fence between truth and grace. There's another way to think about this. It's about balance between justice and love. We have to ride a high fence Because sometimes when we communicate God's justice, and somebody's not quite ready to hear all of it, I throw the baby out of the bathwater and never hear you again. But what if we had the Holy Spirit's power in us as we go to communicate? Which do I use, Lord? Do I speak justice now? Do I speak love now? Do I speak love now and ask for opportunity to speak justice later? Because here's the thing. If we fail to do a person justice when justice is called for, huh, we fail like love them. Isn't that, isn't that strange how it works? If we failed to love them when love was called for over justice, we've done them a great injustice. Because now they won't have ears to hear what the gospel is. We've shut them out. So it's a balance. And here's the thing if there's any of you in this room, any of you, who are able to do that and do that perfectly, you guys need to teach me. Because I don't know. But I think that what is clear from the scriptures is that this mission that God has us on, this life that we live, is all dependent on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God will prompt us and tell us when to do justice and when to speak love. In our own power, we can't choose correctly. In our own strength, we don't. I don't know how many times I've spoken justice when I needed to speak love. I don't know how many times I've let somebody off the hook and spoke love and they needed the truth. And I let them stay there in their lie. And then realize later what an unloving, unkind thing that I've done to them. So these guys were still willing to listen and Paul did balance. He could have gone right after them about the justice of God, that you're worshiping vain things and that you deserve the pit of hell and you need to burn for that, right? Um, jokingly, Matthew Sweet was a, asked, they were asking about the text this week and I was giving it to uh, to Jeanette um, so that she could pick the music and stuff. She's asking for the title and jokingly Matt says, well, the title could be Turn or Burn, right? Either Turn to God or Burn. Well, Sometimes that's valid. Sometimes it's not. And in this case, it was not. It was not the time for that message. So, for us, when we are in a context where the gospel is a foreign idea, we need to be patient to explain the reality of the gospel in the language and the context that we are in. Some say that the age we live in one of the greatest hindrances to our proclamation of the Gospels is that we live in an age that does not have a, as its frame of reference a grand story, a meta-narrative, right? There's no grand story. Because we live in this age where every context has its own unique story and its own unique reality. Do you notice that every context you kind of go in, that that context is the only context by which people see their life. That is their reality. So the reason why sometimes it's hard for us to communicate that is that they only see one context. And they don't see that all of this ties together in a big, grand story. And we have a big, grand God who is weaving a big, grand story in each of our lives, right? They don't see this. So, our starting point then Would be to proclaim the reality of the necessity for Christ's suffering and reaction and and resurrection, but only in their context. So here they are in their context, and no matter what, the suffering of Christ is necessary for you in that context. And the reality of his resurrection is for you in that context. This means we must be willing to learn how our friends and our neighbors' context works. We must be patient and willing to learn that. And we must be careful and patient not to insult their intelligence and understand their ignorance. Being ignorant does not mean you're stupid. Being ignorant of the truth of the gospel does not mean you're dumb. There are many, many smart people that I know that are going to hell. And they're not going to hell because they're stupid. They're going to hell because they're ignorant of the truth of the gospel. Right? They're ignorant of that truth. So we must be patient so that we have opportunity to speak that truth. So, <clears throat> Paul, he addresses um, the Arapagus next. And I, I'm going to, for time's sake, I'm just going to move on and kind of close this up a little bit. Because, you see, Paul will look at the people in the Arapagus and say, I notice that you're very religious. But instead of coming right out and condemning their vain and empty worship, Paul says, let me show you your need for Christ and what you don't know. And also, I'll show you your need for Christ from what you do know. He takes their reality, right? He says, I'm going to show you Christ. I'm going to show you something about Christ from what you don't know. Now, I'm going to take what you do know and show you who Christ is. Because he says, even your poets understand in hand move them. And live and have their being, and that you are his offspring that you are offspring of God, the one who created everything. So even you know that. So I'm going to take what you know and show you the gospel from what you know, and I'm going to show you the gospel from what you don't know. And this must come from the position of both love and justice. Justice here would say boldly that your worship is wrong and you're ignorant and you're perishing. Love says, They're not quite prepared to hear this yet. Let me teach you what you don't know. Let me affirm in you what you do know. And if you're willing, I'll speak to you again. What happens when we overdo justice? Often we don't get an audience with that person again. We overdo justice and we don't get an opportunity. And guess what we've done? We haven't loved them. We have loved them with the love of Christ. That Christ was patient with you. He was patient with me. Remember when he prodded your heart and you were Remember that? Remember those times? When you're convicted in your spirit that the truth of the gospel was for you? Maybe tomorrow. I'm not quite ready to hear it. I remember saying that to my baseball coach when he proclaimed the gospel to me, walking across the field. And I said, he says, so what is your reasoning for not accepting Christ today? And I said, can't do it. Everything I heard you say, I believe it. I know it to be true, but this is an all or nothing proposition, and I'm not willing to give it all. And I walked away. He could have dismissed me, but he didn't. He didn't dismiss me at all. I was willing to hear Him some more. And He was willing to speak to me. And He loved me enough to keep telling me. Right? Well, you know what? That had never led me to the Lord. But when the Lord got a hold of me, I remembered Him. I remembered everything He said. I remembered that He loved me enough to tell me that. And He loved me enough to stop talking he loved me enough to tell the truth. And he loved me enough to say, Jeff's not ready to hear that yet. And I would venture to guess that guy prayed for me a lot. I would venture to guess that he prayed for me a lot. That down the road, something somehow, I would hear it. And I heard his voice. And I'm thankful for that. So what we learned from our text this morning, and I'm sorry about slung, but I think this is really important for us to hear today. We've learned from our text this morning is that there's many contexts that we're going to find ourselves in and there are many methods, but there's just one mission and there's just one gospel and there's just one reality that people need to know is the necessity of Christ's suffering for them and the reality that that, that suffering did not happen in vain and that their God is alive. And in each context that we find ourselves in, we're going to find people that believe that their context is reality. And I believe this, that the Holy Spirit has placed you in your context with the reality that in every context of suffering of Christ and His resurrection is not only necessary, but it's relevant. We don't need to make the gospel relevant. It is relevant in every context that you're going to find yourselves in. And the Holy Spirit has placed you in that context. And if and when the Holy Spirit moves you to a new context, Christ's mission for you is to communicate the reality of the suffering of Christ and His resurrection to the lost and hurting in that context, and to trust the Holy Spirit for the result. Don't trust in yourself for being able to communicate this really well, that people are just going to get it as you said it right. Because it is God who saves it, isn't you. It's God who saves it, isn't me. But he says, "Tell the truth about this. Tell the reality of Christ's suffering for you personally. You long to know nothing amongst others except Christ and who crucified, and you know that." There's your tool. In the reality that God put you in, tell that truth, and then say this. Not only that is my God is alive, and I am excited. I'm excited that my God is alive and I live for Him because He is alive in me. As we sang this morning, greater is He that is is in us, right? And that same power resides in Him as the Holy Spirit of God is in Him. And this is the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And this is gospel living. That's what gospel living is.